0: You ain't heard nothing Get around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> What am I going to do? Frank I to make him You talking to <laughs> me? <them. laughs> the train? I don't know who you are. Why so sick? When I'm good, I'm very good. <laughs> <From laughs> when I'm bad. I'm <laughs> better. You're not out of it. If call me Miss Litton. You have no style. You huh? all day, little dog. Go! in your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody's doing well. I got my second COVID vaccine this week, so most of this week has been spent popping Tylenol from bed while I've watched true crime documentaries. Before we get to this week's episode, it's time for Caitlin's two-sentence movie reviews of movies I saw in a movie theater. This week, I went and saw all of the shorts nominated for Best Animated Short and Best Live Action Short. The animated ones, I'm just going to go out there and say it, and I don't want to. They're all shit this year. Ugh. They're disappointingly bad, and that's the time I'm giving to that. They're bad. That's it. The live-action short films, complete opposite. Absolutely fantastic. My favorite from this year was Two Distant Strangers, which is currently on Netflix, at least in the U.S., All of the shorts are available on most on-demand and cable platforms as well. Again, in the U.S., but hopefully internationally as well. Live-action shorts, all five, absolutely fantastic. The last film I saw this week in a movie theater was Unholy, which is a pretty standard horror movie with a couple of pretty good jump scares. It messed up my dreams for three solid nights. But that's probably partially due to the fact that A, I watched it at night, and B, I grew up Catholic, and the iconography messed with my head. Not necessarily the best horror movie you'll ever see, but if you're Catholic and still got that guilt hanging around, it's gonna mess you up. (laughs) Also, if you're not following me on social media, I've got an Oscar pool contest set up. All you have to do is follow me on the socials and fill out a ballot to play. The winner gets some sweet Tinsel Factory merch. Details and fillable ballot are on my socials. Please play if you can. I need any attention I can possibly get to help grow this podcast. Anyway, let's get on to this week's topic. Well, now that we've gone over some of the history and how the Academy and the Oscars came to be, let's talk about how one actually becomes an Oscar nominee. Once you've managed to make the movie, of course. If you're more worried about how you make a movie, then I suggest my January episodes, which are the I Wanna Be series. But today, we'll go over the modern requirements, pre-COVID anyway, as well as the, as of now, temporary rules for this year's ceremony and some of the future rules in the next four years. We'll also go over the events and whatnot a nominee has to contend with in the months and weeks leading up to the big night. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. you did it. After years of busting your butt and likely selling off more than a portion of your soul, you've either finished or have been a part of a film that has been shot, edited, and is due to be released. If you're the writer, director, or producer of the film, this has likely been a process years and potentially decades in the making. Not only that, The film is actually good and not just because you made it. The studio that produced the film is pleased as punch. The reviews are in and it's official. You made one of the objectively best films of the year. So, the film's good, it's playing in theaters, but how does one qualify for an Oscar? Well, Let's go over the basics of the most recent rules I could get a hold of before this year's, which are a touch different because COVID. The most recent I could get a hold of are from the 87th Oscars, so 2016, which is what we're going to go over in extension now. These are the same rules for this year, not counting the amendments that were made when the pandemic hit. First off, Any film made anywhere in the world is eligible for the Oscars so long as they meet these following requirements. For a feature film, the film must be at least feature length. The Academy defines that as a film over 40 minutes, not counting the credits. The film must be publicly exhibited with certain technical requirements, which I will not torture you with here. I barely understand them myself. And not the most interesting thing to listen to. Link is in the show notes for you techies. It basically boils down to don't shoot it on a Nokia phone or record the dialogue on a talk secret. The film must be publicly exhibited before it ends up online, and it must play at a Los Angeles County Theater for at least seven consecutive days. The film must be advertised and be released during the Oscar qualifying period. In most cases, except the first five ceremonies and this year, that means the calendar year. The rules for this year's ceremony had to be altered since the movie theaters in Los Angeles were shuttered from March 16th, 2020 to March 15th, 2021. And for those of you that know me personally, yes, I knew that off the top of my head. The closure of LA theaters and the delaying of most unreleased studio films meant that the Academy had to adjust their eligibility period for the 93rd annual ceremony if they wanted more than like 10 to 15 films to qualify. The eligibility period was eventually expanded from the 2020 calendar year to January 1st, 2020 to January 28th, 2021. Due to the lack of Los Angeles theaters being open, the Academy announced on October 6th, 2020, that films which were intended for theatrical release but were initially made available through commercial streaming, VOD services, or other broadcasts can qualify for the Oscars if they meet the following requirements. The film had to be made available on the Secure Academy screening room member site within 60 days of the film streaming slash VOD release or broadcast and that it met all of the other eligibility requirements previously mentioned. Basically, you had to want to be a theater film, got screwed by COVID, and then upload that film to the AMPA's personal Netflix to meet the requirements for this year. For films that managed to run in a theater first for this period, the Academy expanded where the films could run to qualify for that seven-day run. Screenings had to occur at least three times daily, with at least one screening starting between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. daily. The regions were expanded to Los Angeles County, the five boroughs of New York City, the Bay Area, San Francisco, Marin, Alameda, San Mateo, and Contra Costa Counties, sorry home county of Sonoma, not you, Chicago, a.k.a. Cook County, Illinois, Miami-Dade County, Florida, and Atlanta. Drive-in movie theaters were included as a qualifying commercial venue in the above cities, but they had to run for the seven consecutive days with at least one screening daily. The Academy screening room would also qualify a film for Oscar contention. Good news! Your film meets all of those requirements. So next comes everyone's favorite part of doing anything, paperwork. That's right, you've got to send an Oscar submission form, which must be signed by the film's producer or distributor, unless waived by the Academy, and that form m- makes you prove all of the aforementioned requirements. If you're lucky enough and the film is a part of a big studio, that means somebody else did all of this for you and all you had to do was sign some paperwork. In the hands of the Academy, they will then determine the film's eligibility in the award categories based on the film's credits. If there are any discrepancies, for examples of this, check out my January 10th, 2020 episode, I'm going to be a producer. The Academy will make a ruling. Historically, these rulings have rarely been popular. If your film doesn't do so well and you jumped the gun and already sent in your Academy paperwork, you can also withdraw a film from consideration, like Universal Studios did with Cats, the film that I am still convinced broke the world. So now the Academy has access to your film, you've filled out all your paperwork, and all the other films that qualify have done the same. This year, that equated to 366 films. So what happens next? If you live in Los Angeles, you're no stranger to the FYC billboards that typically show up in the later part of every other year but this calendar year. FYC stands for For Your Consideration and is a part of the award show campaigning process for not just films, but for TV shows as well. Oscar campaigns are just as, if not more important than the content and quality of the film itself. The people who made the movie and their personalities and reputation in the film industry are just as on display, if not more. While generally speaking, getting a nomination is treated by industry people, at least on the surface, as a casual, no-big-deal honor, it's merely a pleasure just to be nominated and able to make a film, and otherwise, they have to say in order to not seem gauche, in reality, an award show campaign, especially an Oscars campaign, is anything but casual. For many nominees, they've been spending a good chunk of not only their careers, but probably their lives to reach this point. Yes, it's an honor to be nominated, but it's a whole hell of a lot better to actually win. For the last 20 years or so, consultants have been hired by studios in order to run campaigns for award shows, in order to make those dreams come true not only for their clients, but for them as well. There's a huge financial gain in earning Oscars or any award in general. If you've seen the show BoJack Horseman on Netflix, when BoJack is nominated for the Sea Biscuit movie, the woman who follows him around and yells at him for doing shit while he's nominated for an Oscar is a slightly cartoony, no pun intended, version of this. Consultants help with everything surrounding award season and work with the nominees throughout. Studios will not run a campaign for every Oscar qualifying film. For example, Focus Features isn't putting the same effort into Half Brothers as they're going to put in their other release this year, Promising Young Woman. Oscar campaigns are typically pretty expensive, with the big studios spending upwards of $15 million to lobby the Academy voters these days, so you only really want to foot that cash for something that actually stands a chance to win an award. This money goes toward the consultant, of course, as well as targeting Oscar voters with ads, either the billboards or in the trade papers, mailers, screeners, special screenings, typically with the director and a few of the leads appearing after the credits roll to do Q&As. These marketing things aren't solely for Academy members, but also to members of the press whom will report on such things, which will cause what is typically referred to as Oscar buzz. The best thing you can possibly have with a potential Oscar-nominated film is a good narrative about making the film and the nominees from the film and the process it took to make it. This can include anecdotes from the director and writer and producer and how they struggled for years to get the film made or how the actress learned how to speak three languages and lost 20 pounds in 20 minutes while backpacking through a war zone to understand her character. These stories are told in press junkets, on talk shows, in printed articles, which are spread all over the world and, of course, through the consciousness of Academy voters. The consultant's job is to take these stories and give the movie a human face beyond the ones that actually did the work. These tales of struggle for the sake of your art matter just as much as or even more than the film itself when it comes to promoting the film or a performer for an acting Oscar, whether it be a nomination or to actually win the damn thing. It also boils down to this. If the majority of Oscar voters don't like you on a personal level or even worse, don't care about you, You could make the best movie in the world, but no one is going to vote for you because no one wants to see someone they dislike or don't care about do well. That's just humanity for you. Sorry folks, you'll be taking part in some kind of popularity contest until the day you die, and that rings especially true in Tinseltown. Even when you die, if someone more famous than you dies on the same day, guess who they're going to talk about? Don't forget, Farrah Fawcett passed away the same day as Michael Jackson. Anyway what gets nominated also sometimes depends on the year and can speak to what the values are as a society at the time if a film enters into a modern cultural debate for example with this year Judas and the Black Messiah and the trial of the Chicago 7 which while both period pieces which speak a lot about the American justice system and police brutality a major topic that was brought to the forefront of social consciousness this last year with the the Black Lives Matter protests, and other related issues. For example, in another year, one or possibly neither of these films would be nominated if something was more dominant in the news cycles, and another film represented those more. So... Once you've built some buzz around your film, you have to actually get out and meet the voters, especially the ones who aren't your personal friends. It's estimated currently that there are about 10,000 members in the Academy, and you're going to need to get on as many of their radars as possible. Nominees need to appeal to everyone with a tireless ability to answer questions, shake hands, metaphorically kiss babies, and make people like them. Yes, it's a political campaign for pretty people without getting a job at the end of it. Those who do this well will do better on the campaign trail with all the other award shows as well, not just the Oscars. There are rules once films are nominated that have been set up by the Academy. For example, no one is allowed to campaign for a nominated film they're not a part of. Sorry folks, your good buddy Tom Hanks can't tell other people how good your film is at an event for the film he's not in. That's a big no-no. Also, negative campaigning against another film is highly frowned upon, but technically not against the rules. Why even mention this? Well, blame Harvey Weinstein. In fact, when in doubt, blame Harvey Weinstein. In 1999, Weinstein ran what was called a bully campaign against the Steven Spielberg-directed film Saving Private Ryan, which famously lost to the Weinstein-produced film Shakespeare in Love, which to this day typically appears on top 10 Oscar lists on films that should not have won the Best Picture Oscar. That film was also the reason why the number of producers allowed to win an Oscar on a film was capped. Weinstein won the Oscar by implementing a whisper campaign, in which he claimed that Saving Private Ryan, quote, peaked in the first 20 minutes. Similar tactics had been done before, on the sly, but have become much more common ever since. You can't out-and-out shit on another film because that would ruin your public perception and hurt your chances of winning an Oscar. But there's nothing wrong with a little whisper, right? See, it's all high school. Officially, only items sent by Academy-sanctioned mailhouses to their members are allowed when campaigning for a film, and they must all be ethical in content. The Academy also requires that voting members make their choices based solely on the artistic and technical merits of the eligible films and achievements, but there's no way to really police that. The rules also state, quote, If any campaign activity is determined by the Board of Governors to work in opposition to that goal, whether or not anticipated by these regulations, the Board of Governors may take any corrective actions or assess any penalties, including disqualification, that in its discretion it deems necessary to protect the reputation and integrity of the wards process. Furthermore, any Academy member who has authorized, executed, or otherwise enabled a campaign activity that is determined by the Board of Governors to have undermined the letter of spirit of these regulations may be subject to suspension of membership or expulsion from the Academy. Expulsion from the Academy is rare, but has happened five times in total. The first was actor Carmine Caridi for leaking his screeners to his buddies, which is a huge no-no. Bill Cosby, Roman Polanski, and Harvey Weinstein were expulsed for, well, you know. And cinematographer Adam Kimmel was expelled for being a sex offender. Naturally, this whole campaigning stuff is hardly the super sparkly fancy celebration of filmmaking and the art form that the modern academy wants to celebrate, and the official party line from the academy is that the best film should win, the best film award, and the same should go for the rest of the categories, despite all of this campaigning. Actress Susan Sarandon has been quite vocal about reigning in campaigning, especially when it comes to spending the insane amounts of money. In a 2016 Variety article, the actress was quoted saying, The money required to orchestrate this kind of grueling, months-long trek to awards glory is turning the Academy Awards into a case of haves and have-nots. There are festivals to fly to, dinners to host, and hands to press all over the country if an actor wants to have a chance of mounting the stage at the Dolby. People have to be available for months, and someone has to pay for that. So, the campaigning for your film has been going strong for a few months, but who ultimately decides on whether or not your film gets nominated for anything? Well, it depends on the category. Each branch of the Academy has its own special rules for requirements for their award nominations. Typically, most categories are nominated by the members of the corresponding branch. Actors nominate actors, cinematographers nominate cinematographers, film editors nominate film editors, etc. However, certain categories, such as international feature film and animated feature film, have additional special voting rules beyond this. The music nomination categories are especially odd and have caused more than a few scandals over the years with their special rules. All voting members of the Academy, however, vote for the Best Picture nominees. Nominations voting is conducted by all members of the Academy using both paper and online ballots, with online voting being the preferred choice for the overwhelming majority of Academy members. Voting for nominations begins in late December, and all votes are tabulated by PricewaterhouseCoopers. This year, that process began on March 10th, 2021. Nomination results are then typically announced at a live televised press conference in mid-January at the Academy's Samuel Goldman Theater in Beverly Hills. This year, of course, that date was pushed back to March 15th, 2021. Joe Jonas and Priyanka Chopra Jonas were this year's announcers. When the award nominations are announced, then what happens? Sorry introverts, you still need to be campaigning, but there will also be expectations to attend events, not only from the Academy, but from the studio that put the film out as well. On the AMPA side, the major event, other than the Oscars night, of course, is the nominee's luncheon, which this year, of course, was canceled. Typically, this is the day that most, if not all, of the nominees gather for, you guessed it, a luncheon. Afterward, they also take a class photo, which features all of the nominees for a given year from all categories. Voting starts the same day as the nominee's luncheon, which this year is April 15th. This gives the Academy members about a month to see all of the nominated films in order to make the most informed decision. Voting takes place online and concludes five days later on April 20th. The votes are then tabulated by PricewaterhouseCoopers. Oscar night will take place five days later on April 25th, 2021. More about what to expect from this year's ceremony next week. The actual night in question, you will get one ticket for you and a plus one. If you're famous, aka a household name, you can usually get more than one, but your other guests won't be sitting in as prominent a location as you and your first plus one. Likely in the Dolby, everyone that comes with you other than your SO will be in the mezzanine or higher cheering you on. On the red carpet you will be split off depending on what category you're a part of. Usually, if you're an actor, director, producer, or a name in general, you will have to do the press line. If you aren't doing press, there's a more streamlined side away from them where most of the audience will go through. This has been described by several attendees as a bit of a conveyor belt or cattle drive. If you win on any year but this one, you did it. You're given 45 seconds to give your speech on stage. This includes the walk up to the stage, so you might want to sprint. Unless you're household famous, then you're probably going to get more like two to three minutes to talk before they start playing you off the stage. After that, you're taken backstage and photographed with your award. I couldn't find a decent article about the nuance of what happened, Happens next. But before I lived in Los Angeles and was a bright eyed, bushy tailed teenager with Hollywood dreams, my family would come to LA often, and I went on the Dolby Theater Oscar tour more than a couple of times. This is what I remember about what they told me that happens next. You're escorted off the stage, congratulated, and photographed. Then you get sent to the press via a tunnel known as a wards walk, which is a pressless, cameraless area for the winners to register this life-changing moment. At the end of the walk is when the wolves, aka the press, will ask you all of their questions. You're then sent on your way typically back to your seat if the ceremony is still in progress, or to the Green Room or Governor's Ball, the official after-party if it's about to end. After that, it's party time. The Governor's Ball, the official after-party of the Oscars, for the last several years has been catered by Wolfgang Puck. After that, the city of Los Angeles is poppin' with parties. Most studios have their own special one, especially if they have a film nominated for Best Picture. Other notable parties outside of that are the Vanity Fair, Shindig, and Elton John's Oscar party. Hollywood celebrates into the early hours of the morning, and again, the famous ones, typically your actors, actresses, directors, and producers, have to get up early and do even more press if they won. Even when it's over, it's still not over. Oscar night is the most prestigious award ceremony in Hollywood and serves as a seal of approval bestowed on the best of the best in the business. To stand on that stage clutching your new golden man is a confirmation of all the hard work you did when honing your craft. It is the achievement of having made it in a demanding and unstable industry. While it's a monumental feather in your cap and will certainly open a slew of doors, winning an Oscar does not guarantee you further work. It does typically come with a pay bump, though, if you do get work, especially if you're a man. The quality of the projects is not guaranteed, of course. Let us not forget that Matthew McConaughey's first film to shoot after winning the Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club was Free State of Jones. I forgot that movie existed too. Sometimes, especially if you don't follow the unwritten rules of award season, winning can actually hurt your career. After actress and comedian Monique won Best Supporting Actress in 2010 for her role in Precious, she claimed that she was told by director Lee Daniels that she had been, quote, blackballed after her win. She had refused to do any of the aforementioned campaigning and was therefore labeled as difficult by others in the industry, even though she won the Oscar. Her refusal to go to the parties and to do all the publicity hurt her career. Quote, I didn't play the game, she said in a 2015 Hollywood Reporter article. She went on to claim in the article that her refusal to do this, and according to Lee Daniels, Monique's husband was outbidding her. He served as her agent as well, cost her rules within his films. In response to this article, Lee issued the following statement. Quote, Monique is a creative force to be reckoned with. Her demands through Precious were not always in line with the campaign. This soured her relationship with the Hollywood community. I consider her a friend. I have and will always think of her for parts that we can collaborate on. However, the consensus among the creative teams and powers thus far were to go another way with these roles. On the studio side of things, if a film wins an Oscar on any level, though Best Picture is certainly the goal, as they can typically expect boosted revenue not only from the box office the week after the Oscar ceremony, but typically for years to come. Academy Award winning on the box of the film in the old days, or in the description of the movie on a streaming service in the new, typically acts as a stamp of quality. Films make something called residuals, money made after the film has left a theater. Typically, this is made in rentals and cable deals that can, depending on the deal, keep individuals comfortable for years after they ceased working on the film if people are still thinking about it years and years after and are willing to spend money to watch it or rent it or buy it, this is obviously the best case scenario for a studio when it comes to making money. When looking into the future, starting with the 96th Oscars in 2024, further requirements will need to be met in order for a film to qualify for Best Picture. The new rules are a part of the Academy's goals to give a more diverse voice to the motion picture community. So in order for a film to qualify for Best Picture, they must meet two Of the four following requirements, they only have to meet one of the requirements in two of each of the following four categories. Category 1. Representation and Storylines. At least one lead actor or major supporting actor from a person of color background. 2. At least 30% of all actors in secondary and more minor roles are from at least two of the following underrepresented groups. Women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities, or who are deaf or hard of hearing. When I mention underrepresented groups going forward, this is who I'm talking about. 3. The main storyline or storylines, theme, or narrative of the film is centered on an underrepresented group or groups. If your film doesn't have any of that, say it's a war epic, which aren't typically known for their diversity for the obvious reasons, then there are behind-the-scene options that will get you that Best Picture nomination. For example, Category 2. Creative Leadership and Department Heads. 1 at least two of the following creative leadership positions and department heads. Casting director, cinematographer, composer, costume designer, director, editor, hairstylist, makeup artist, producer, production designer, set decorator, sound, VFX supervisor, writer are from the aforementioned underrepresented groups. At least one of those jobs must also go to an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Two, at least six other crew teams. Well, and technical positions, including production assistants, are from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. These positions include, but are not limited to, first AD gaffer or script supervisor. Three, at least 30% of the film's crew is from one of the underrepresented groups. Category three, standard industry access and opportunities. The film's distribution or financing company has paid apprenticeships or internships that are from the underrepresented represented groups and the film's production, distribution and or financing companies offers training and or work opportunities for below the line skill development to people from the underrepresented groups. Finally, Category 4, Audience Development. This requires underrepresented individuals to be a part of the marketing, publicity, and or distribution teams. These rules, again, only apply to the best picture category. Everything else has the same requirements as it's always had. Those who have been against these inclusion rules have mostly stated that this would cripple creativity and artistic expression. But when looking at them and reflecting on my time on set, however, it's clear as a member of one of those underrepresented groups, because woman, that change needs to come. If any other field had the diversity makeup that the entertainment industry has, they'd be in a slew of trouble. Hopefully, these rules will lead to more opportunities for those who normally would have had the door slammed in their face in the entertainment industry. (laughs) And that's gonna do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I also post photos for each episode. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at tinsel underscore factory on Twitter, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or if you ever have any questions, you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there, so if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. In order to keep making this podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. I also have a Venmo tag if you want to send me a one-time donation, which is at Tinsel Factory Pod. I've also got merch. Check it out at the link in the show notes. Next week, we're covering this year's Oscar ceremony and what we can expect from an outdoor pandemic extravaganza. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, that's a wrap.